You are now listening to the Think 180 podcast from Inc. 180 Ministries in Chicago. Hello and welcome. Please stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon from the flight deck. We're cruising at 37,000 feet. We just passed over the coast. We'll be beginning our descent in about uh, 30 minutes. I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome you to America. Yeah. Uh, I was made in America, land of the free, home of the brave. And right up under your nose, you might see a sex slave being traded. And would do anything for the money. Boy, mama might sell her babies. Sell porn, sell pills, anything to pay the bills, anything to bring that pay. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us today. This is Chris from Inc. 180, and this is episode four of the Think 180 podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a subject that I just, I honestly wish we didn't have to talk about at all. I wish it didn't exist. Um, but unfortunately, it's a reality that we need to address, and that's the uh, the awful reality of sex trafficking um, in this country and abroad. So, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, as we before we get into this, I, I would like to say that we're going to be talking about some pretty heavy topics today. Um, things that your kids definitely do need to know about. However, um, it it's uh, highly recommended that you listen to this yourself first and and judge if they're at. Uh, an appropriate age to hear it from me, or if you want to take this information and translate it uh, to a conversation that you have with them. So just a heads up on that. Um, this is some pretty heavy stuff that we're going to be getting into. So um, Inc. 180, when we founded it, we had no idea what sex trafficking was. I had never heard of it. I'd never heard of human trafficking, really. Um, but my life and my family's life and, and this ministry's life changed uh, about four and a half years ago, uh, I had been at church giving an update, and a really good friend of mine, this uh, a fantastic guy, Brian Smith with Homeland Security. He's a, a friend of mine, and he's a uh, he's a narcotics agent. He came up to me after church one day, and I I had just given an update on the ministry, and we're, you know, things were really taken off with Inc. 180, and and he was excited about it. He came up to me and said, hey, Chris, I think that you should come up and meet with my gang unit at the Department of Homeland Security. And I was I was very excited because I was working with state and local authorities at that time, which I love and I, I still do today. Uh, I work with those guys all the time, pretty much every day. But I hadn't worked with any federal agencies. And um, in my opinion, anybody that, that looks like me, that's sitting in a room with Homeland Security or the FBI and I'm not shackled to the table. It's a pretty awesome thing. So I was excited for the opportunity. Uh, so we set up the meeting. Um, as I was driving up the morning of the meeting, Brian called me on my cell phone and, and uh, I was on I-88 driving up to the city for this meeting and uh, answered the phone while I was driving. I know it's against the law, but I, uh, you know, not perfect, y'all. But uh, Brian asked me, he said, Chris, I'm excited about the meeting today. The team's all here. Um, but I just have a, a quick question. Would you mind if another team sat in on it? They they want to see how you might be able to work together. I said, sure, no problem. You know, who is it? And he said, oh, it's our, our, our trafficking unit. And I assumed that he meant drug trafficking. And I said, Brian, what does, you know, drug trafficking have to do with removing and covering tattoos for people? Um, he said, no, you know, Chris, this is sex trafficking. And I went silent, which if if you know me at all, that's almost never the case. I, I've almost always got something to say. And I just kind of sat there silent and I said, Brian, that doesn't even happen here. What are you talking about? And he said, yeah, it, it 
it does. And uh, we've got a great team here that I would love you to meet with and uh, see how you guys might be able to, to partner up as well. So I said, absolutely, please have them sit in and made my way up to their offices and, and did the gang presentation. And it was a fantastic meeting. Uh, within about 15 minutes, we had agreed to partner up. I was excited. They were excited. Uh, it was a beautiful thing. And then I looked at the, the head of this trafficking unit and I said, can you please tell me what you do? Because I have no idea about sex trafficking. I don't, I didn't know that that was something that we dealt with here. Um, like so many people that I encounter on a day-to-day -day basis, I thought that, that sex trafficking or human trafficking period was one of those over there kind of problems. You know, it happens over there in Southeast Asia. It happens over there in Eastern Europe. And that's not to diminish the ugliness of it by any means. Um, I just think that when we know that things are happening, happening in our communities, it makes it very real very quickly to us. Uh, and it, it did for me that day. So I sat down for about two hours with them. And they, uh, they gave me a, a very high level understanding of what human trafficking looks like in this country. And um, they were telling me about two real main areas of human trafficking, two types of it, uh, labor trafficking, where people, um, a lot, most of the time with labor trafficking, not all the time, certainly, um, people are coming into the country, uh, sometimes legally, sometimes illegally, and they're taking these jobs and, um, they're taking jobs, you know, as farm workers or in textile mills or, or whatever the case. And before they know it, they're being held against their will, working for no money and almost no food, kept in horrific conditions. And, and we have seen a lot of cases of that out here, especially in the rural areas. But um, we, our ministry doesn't really do much with labor trafficking, but it, it does exist. We've seen cases here in, in the city, actually, where like Chinese restaurants have people that they're bringing in from China and they're, they are, uh, forcing them to work for no money and in horrible conditions against their will. Uh, they take their paperwork. They're not allowed to leave. They're told that the cops will arrest them and, and deport them. You know, they're brought into the country on, under all these false pretenses of the American dream and, and um, you know, free education and job opportunities and just, it's all a lie. Um, but then they started talking to me about sex trafficking and that, that's where we, um, we work heavily in the sex trafficking area. Um, they started, you know, there's, there's so many, um, uh, statistics and, and numbers and all this stuff. I don't really get wrapped up in, in those numbers because you never know, you know, there's a lot of controversy. Are these real? Cause I've heard estimates as high as 500,000 uh, American kids being forced into prostitution in this country alone. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but what I do know is as long as there is one out there, that's too many. Um, but it's uh, all demographics. There's no average uh, sex trafficking victim. And I hate to use the word victim, but uh, for this part of the conversation, we're going to use it because um, it's, it's highly accurate. Um, we're talking about people who are um, forced into prostitution and it's, and it's either it's a, a various different methods. It's force, fraud or coercion. It makes sex trafficking one of the most difficult uh, prosecutions to get on a pimp because you have to prove that these people were, were pushed into prostitution or forced into prostitution or coerced into it, uh, manipulated. And these, 
these pimps are absolutely master manipulators. They are very crafty with how they get people to do what they want them to do. We touched on that a little bit in episode two where we were talking about sex traffic or um, social media safety. And we'll touch on that again here later in this episode. But they started showing me different cases that they had worked, that they had closed out, that they could share with me. And they started telling me stories about kids who had run away from home and kids who had run away from the foster system, kids who were on the street because they were addicted to drugs. Um, They had long histories of sexual abuse in the home, neglect. Um, Parents were drug addicts, just all these different stories, um, including all the way across the other side of the spectrum to kids that had run away from home because their parents didn't want them to date a boy and they wanted to go and spend the day with them. So they ran away from home and got caught up in a trafficking situation. Uh, We've also, we're also told about stories where uh, a 15 year old boy and a 15 year old girl are dating and it's the girl's first boyfriend. They become sexually active And before she knows it, the boyfriend is having her have sex with other guys and making money from it. We've also heard stories about kids who have run away from home because their parents took their cell phone away. And before they know it, they're caught up. Their their, um, contact is made by pimps and traffickers within the, the first 48 hours that they're on the street. Predators use social media. They reach out to these kids. They look for kids that are hurting, kids that are going through breakups. Their parents are getting a divorce. Uh, They just got dumped by their boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, They're being bullied incessantly. Um, These predators and pimps and traffickers use social media to reach out to them, and they offer them a a lifeline. Like, hey, I can give you what you're not having in your life. I can get you a phone. I can get you a car. I can get you money. I'll get you shoes, whatever you want. I'll get you Jordans. And we hear, this is stuff we hear. You know, these are actual horrific situations. We've seen situations where uh, girls went to a party and never, never came home. People drugged them. They're put in a car. They're brought to another city. That's why it's called trafficking. They don't stay in one area for a, a long period of time. Pimps and traffickers are very smart. They know when the cops are coming. They can feel it. They can sense it. They have, they have people out there looking out for them, too. Gangs are heavily involved in human trafficking. We've seen a huge increase in that. As they're telling me these different stories about the, these young people that were pulled into trafficking, they told me the average age of entry is 12 to 13 years old. And when they told me that, they started showing me pictures of a 13-year-old girl that they had recovered. She was kidnapped from Iowa and brought into the Chicago area and trafficked for two years before she was rescued. And then they showed me a picture of her and it it absolutely hit, hit me hard right in the chest. It felt like somebody kicked me in the chest. They started showing me pictures of these kids from different cases and they looked just like my kids, my daughters, my son, my kids' friends. Um, Our children are not safe. We have a false sense of security. We think that everything that we do is okay. And no, we're not going to get in trouble. It won't happen to me. It won't happen. My kid won't do that. My kid won't go off with somebody. 
my kid won't be at the mall and some guy offers her a job modeling and she won't go with him. No way. There's no way my kid will do that. Well, you know what? I've got a, a wall in the back of my shop here with a handprint of kids that said they'd never do that. And that wouldn't happen to them. So this is a serious situation. At the end of this meeting, the director looked at me and he said, Chris, um, we need your help because we're seeing pimps tattoo these kids or adults as well. It's not just kids. I want to make that clear. And it's male and female victims. It's not just females. Although the vast majority that we have dealt with uh, here at Inc. 180 have been female, but we have had male survivors as well. Um, he looked at me and he said, would you help us? Uh, because these kids are being forced to get tattoos. And then he started showing me pictures of these tattoos to give me an idea. I saw barcode tattoos. Um, every product I've ever bought in my life practically has a barcode on it. Um, take a look around your house. When you go to the store and they scan that barcode, it tells you who made that product, what it is, how much it's worth, um, all the information important about that product. And they showed me a bunch of pictures of barcode tattoos. Now, I want to say this too, because I get this question all the time. Some people have had barcode tattoos. There was a movie uh, back in the early 90s. I don't remember what it was, but one of the characters had a barcode tattoo. And some people started getting barcode tattoos. Um, thank God it was a very short-lived trend. Um, but I've had people come up to me when I speak in their church. And they're like, oh my God, Chris, I'm freaking out right now. Um, when I was in spring break on South Padre Island in 1989, I got a barcode tattoo of the barcode for Kraft macaroni and cheese because I loved it. And I, have no, I had no idea. I'm like, well, how could you know? It, it happens. This ha I mean, it happens every once in a while. And I'll, you know, I'll help them out too. I'll get rid of those tattoos. And uh, I, don't, I don't mean to make light of it, but I, I say that just to make you aware that if you see somebody with a barcode, it doesn't automatically mean that they're being trafficked or were trafficked. Okay. Um, so that was one thing we saw. You know, people say they'll look at these tattoos that we're seeing from trafficking. These are not typically professionally done tattoos, guys. Um, the unfortunate fact of the matter is any of you could go on to eBay or Amazon.com and buy a tattoo kit for about 150 bucks and start tattooing people in your house. Um, the tattoos that are being forced onto trafficking victims are typically done by some friend of the pimp or the pimp himself or herself. So they're not professionally done. People ask me all the time, well, I have a scanner app on my cell phone. What happens if I scan that barcode tattoo? Not a thing. These are not functional tattoos. Uh, it's just uh, simply a horrific visual marker to tell that person you are just a piece of product. I can buy you, sell you, trade you anytime I want. You're not a human being. You're just a piece of product. Um, but the scary thing about that is uh, pimps and traffickers are not stupid. They have found ways to network with each other. Um, and the reason it's important for us to get rid of these tattoos as soon as possible um, is very simply this. They've set up databases in the black web, the dark web, um, to list out these victims, who they are, pictures, where they're from, the pimp that, quote, owns them, how to contact that pimp, uh, where they're from, how long they've been involved in what they call the game. Um, do they have siblings? Where does their family live? It's all information that pimps and traffickers use to keep these victims doing what they're forcing them to do. 
Because people ask me all the time, Chris, why don't they just run away? Why don't they just get away? We, I mean, we're here in the Chicago area. We've got great public transportation. Why don't they just run? It's very simple. Pimps and traffickers are violent, violent criminals. And they tell them regularly, daily, if you run, I will kill you. If I can't find you, I'll kill your family. I'm going to go get your little sister or your little brother and have them doing what you're doing. Um, they also force them to do drugs a lot of the times. They're giving them heavy, heavy drugs. Um, heroin, huge issue here uh, that we're seeing. They're, they have a lot of ways of keeping them in place and doing what they want them to do. But getting back to the, these barcode tattoos, I want to give you an example of why it's so important for us to get rid of these tattoos and how you're helping us do that is so critical to their success and their recovery and their their new life and trying to get back a little bit of who they used to be. Let's say a girl is from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and she's being trafficked by a pimp in Milwaukee, and she's got a barcode on the back of her neck that he put on her. She runs or she comes down to Chicago. Another pimp or trafficker or gang member sees her. They see this tattoo in a very high visibility area on the back of her neck. They'll pull her off the street and they'll, they'll hold her or him, whoever it is, and they'll look up that information in these databases. They'll say who they are, who the pimp is, how to contact them, all this information that I talked about a second ago. They'll contact that other pimp. They'll make contact and say, hey, we just found so-and-so here in Chicago. I know that they're not from here. This is my block. What's going on? And that pimp will say generally one of three things. One, we'll send somebody to get them. Number two, I'll sell them to you. I'm tired of them running. You can have them. Or three, make them disappear. And criminals in Chicago and, and all over the world have been making people disappear for decades and centuries. Um, I fear the day that they ever have to drain the Chicago rivers for anything of what we're going to find in there. Because make them disappear is something that happens on a daily basis here in Chicago. Uh, so it's highly critical uh, for their safety, number one, to get rid of that tattoo. Um, number two, just for their own mental health, uh, it's important to get rid of that tattoo because if you look in the mirror every day and you have to look at a, a tattoo brand from your pimp, whether it's his name or a barcode or a symbol from his gang, that's a constant daily reminder of what you were forced to go through and what they put you through and the violence and the rape and the abuse the torture, the mental torture and physical torture that you are forced to go through. So yes, it's very critical to them to get rid of the tattoo. One of the things that drives me crazy, I just met with a, an organization that um, wants to work together and they're a fantastic organization and um, we're, we are going to work together because I was, I'm able, <laughs> I'm looking past what I'm about to tell you. Um, for the, for the greater good, for the survivors to help them. But um, this organization wants to work with me and Inc. 180 um, to do some educational events, some speaking, some um, tattoo removals in different areas, uh, also to help recruit some other tattoo artists and tattoo removal folks in different parts of the country. So it's a great opportunity. But I'm sitting in a boardroom with the four um, top executives of this organization, and they said this and I hear this too much from people 
they're like, yeah, you know, we're really excited to, to work with you and work with Inc. 180. And we've read a lot of things. We watched your documentary. It's fantastic. Um, we love what you do, what you're doing, what God's doing through your ministry. Uh, and it's just, you know, we, we need to do something with sex trafficking. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit, too, because sex trafficking is one of those topics that once you hear about it, you feel obligated to do something. Sometimes you don't know what right away, but you feel like you have to do something to make a difference in the fight against, against human trafficking or sex trafficking. But what they said was, you know, yeah, you know, there's a lot of people that want to help. There's a lot of people that want to get on board. Sex trafficking is a really sexy subject right now. And my face went blank when they said it. And I said, what, what did you just say? They're like, well, yeah, it's, it's a hot topic. It's a really sexy topic right now. Like everybody's wanting to help out with it and get on board. So, you know, we'll be able to get a lot of people to these events and hear about what, what we're going to do. And I looked at him, I said, please don't ever refer to human trafficking or sex trafficking as sexy in any way, because I'm going to get onto a, a, another part of this right now. This is the biggest part of the problem with sex trafficking is the culture. Um, we live in a culture right now in 2017 where everything around us is hypersexualized. Everything. Um, we're living in a country that is one of its biggest industries and one of its biggest exports is pornography. Our kids walk around with cell phones. It's a gateway to pornography all day long. Every ad they watch, every song that they listen, not every, a lot of the songs that they're listening to, the movies, the, the TV shows are all hyper-sexualized. Um, and it, it goes back to that old, you know, Madison Avenue adage that sex sells. And unfortunately, it does. Um, the church has a huge issue with pornography and sexual sin. That's no secret. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. I have a, a, a friend of mine. She, she's more than a friend of mine. She, I refer to her as my twin. She's just an amazing human being, and I love her to death. Uh, her name is Annie Donwald. And if you, you don't know Annie, you need to check her out. Um, she has a, an organization called Eve's Angels. Annie, uh, when she was in college, got into dancing at clubs. And uh, she was a stripper. And then she got into escorting and all the, the horrific things that went along with that. And um, she's actually featured in our documentary. And we do a lot of stuff together. She's got a great book out. And um, check her out, Annie Donawal. But Annie and I have been friends for about five years now. And when, about the time we were doing the documentary, we were spending a lot. She was spending a lot of time here. And uh, she works out of Michigan. And she was here and she said, Chris, I... I'm getting ready to go and do the Chicago Exotica Expo in about three months. And um, I wanted to ask you if you would be willing to come do the convention with me. And so that's like a porn convention, right? And she said, yeah. And immediately I was like, oh, no way, you know. Um, like I said, guys, God changed me seven years ago. And uh, it wasn't that far, far ago, you know, and I... I know what kinds of things I personally need to avoid to uh, avoid that old life coming back into my new life. But um, Annie talked to me for about an hour and it was a great conversation. And I said, well, what do you do there? So well, we go and we just pray with people and talk about human trafficking. 
and what's going on in the strip clubs. She she goes into strip clubs and uh, all over the area, all over the Midwest and beyond, actually, uh, to go in and make form relationships with the girls that are, are dancing there and even the, the bouncers and the club owners and stuff and just share Jesus in a real positive and real authentic way um, and offer assistance if they make the decision to get out of that lifestyle. And uh, we love what she does. She's like, yeah, we go to the, the porn convention and just pray for people. We pray for like 10,000 people in that weekend. And I was, I was intrigued by it, but I, I was like, yeah, I'm not. In my head, I was like, I'm not going to that. You know? And she's like, well, pray about it. I, want you, I really want you to pray about it, and uh, we'll, we'll circle back up in a month or so. I said, okay, that's, that sounds good. Knowing in my head I wasn't going to pray for it. Uh, then my wife, Lisa, was doing some stuff with her. Doing, uh, she went and did outreach with her one night in the strip clubs up by up with Willow Creek and some folks up there. And Lisa came home and she's like, Hey, I need to talk to you. Said, All right. She said, I had a conversation with Annie last night and I knew exactly what was going to come next. Um, because Lisa and Annie are really tight and they, they formed, formed a little alliance to, to convince me to do this. And Lisa said, you know, Annie told me she talked to you about doing the porn convention. And I said, yeah, she did. And, uh, She's like, she told me that she said you should pray about going and doing it. And I said, yes, she did. She said, and Lisa asked me, you know, have you prayed about it? I said, no, I have not. She said, why not? I said, because I'm not going. Uh, plain and simple, I, I'm not going to inject myself into a situation where there's, you know, naked women walking around and pornography on TVs every 10 steps and all kinds of sideshows going on, all this stuff. I just don't need to be in that environment. Um as somebody that's working real hard to get my life on track. And Lisa looked at me and she said, you know, what, Chris, what do you always tell me when you do street ministry? And I'm afraid that you're going to get shot or hurt or robbed or whatever. And I said, I tell you that God told me to take his word to the darkest places in this country and beyond. And she looked at me and she said, well, it doesn't get much darker than the porn convention, does it? And I sat back in my chair and uh, I thought for a minute and I looked at her and I said, I cannot believe that you, as my wife, you're trying to convince me to go to the porn convention. And she, she looked at me and she said, I, I think you should do it. I think you should definitely do it. So I looked at her and I said, all right. I said, I'll do it. I'll do it on one condition. And it, this has to happen or I'm not going to do it. I said, I will go. If you go with me and you are like right next to me the entire time, like we're handcuffed together practically. And she smiled and she said, all right, I'll go with you. And uh, we went now, Annie, uh, Annie's awesome. She, she did some great stuff with that, that event alone and so many others after, but she, uh, she called me and she's like, Hey, we're going to do t-shirts. We're getting t-shirts made. Can you send me your logo? And it's going to have my logo and your logo. And it had some, Letter, I, don't, I think it said like something like loving the hell out of the porn convention or something like that. And we gave these shirts out. And I, I want to say it was like 10,000, either five or 10,000 t-shirts. We gave these shirts away. We were praying for people. Um, I was talking about the ministry that we're doing with sex trafficking stuff to educate people. And, and it was crazy because we had all these people from the porn industry that were coming up to the booth, talking to us asking us to pray for them for different things, you know, just different stuff in their life. And, um, and we were, and it was awesome. Um, and we were educating people and there were people 
that are in the porn industry that are like, oh my gosh, man, I've seen tattoos like this on girls, especially um, that we've had in on movie sets and on porn sets. And so that was good to educate them because even they don't want that in their industry, you know? Um, but the crazy thing is we did those three days and I'll tell you what, walking into the Donald E. Stevens convention center, those three days of the exotica convention felt like I was walking into the pits of hell. Honestly, I had the biggest struggle with spiritual attack those three days that I ever have. Um, it was, it was very heavy. Um, but the crazy thing is we gave out every single shirt. There wasn't one left and I go around to churches still to this day and I walk in there's people that are there that morning cause they hear I'm coming to speak at their church or their local area about what we're doing. And there's people in the church in the front row wearing these t-shirts. And that's the only place we gave them out was the porn convention. So, and here's the thing, guys, like we all struggle. I, I used to struggle with porn. I'll, I'll tell you right now, transparent, you know, I, bef- my old life, I struggled hard. I used to go to strip clubs. I was that guy. And I, when I tell you that God pulled me out of a deep pit and transformed me, he did. It's, it's not just a cool story to tell. That's why it was so hard for me to go to that convention. Um, but it's a huge problem in the church. And you know what? The church is afraid to talk about it. Don't talk about porn. Don't talk about any kind of sexual sin. We can't have that. Like we have to talk about like warm, fuzzy things that we can make better in the world. Not, not the things that we struggle with. Um, so it was just really interesting. And, and I, Annie's doing great work. Annie, uh, wanted to do something, um, about the demand. You know, everybody talks about, you know, we have to build a safe house. I'll tell you, most churches I walk into, somebody comes up to me from the church and they're like, oh, Chris, we're so happy you came this morning. Thanks for coming. We're really looking forward to hearing from you. Um, we are, we've set up a fund. We've established a fund to uh, raise the money to build a safe house. And I want to say a couple things on that. Number one, um, it's not just about raising money. Number two, not everybody that can open a safe house should open a safe house. Three, if you knew what it took to do that, um, I'll just give an example. There's a, a fantastic organization that I want you to look up called Reclaim 13. They're local here in Chicago. They have an amazing safe house for juvenile survivors of sex trafficking. Uh, we do a lot of work with them to remove tattoos for survivors that they're working with. They had an estate donated, donated, free and clear, huge, beautiful estate donated to them. Um, I did a speaking engagement. I think it was like five years ago with pastor Tim Sutherland. And it was the first, it was the kickoff. It was originally the project was called safe house, Chicago, and it, it morphed into reclaim 13, um, and cherish house. But even with having this beautiful, huge estate donated free and clear, it still took them like two, I think it was like two, two and a half years of working hard every day with government agencies and the county and the state um, and federal law enforcement to be able to open up their house. It's not just about raising the money. Um, we've had issues lately and I'll, I'll get into a couple of them, but and I'm not going to put anybody in particular on blast. I'll never do that. No, it's not what I'm about. But 
Um, it, I just want to get this kind of information out there so we, we're aware of what's going on, what kind of environment we're dealing with. Um, we have safe houses that I've dealt with that have people who are fresh out of college with degrees as social workers, okay? And they're young and inexperienced and they want to make a difference. And God bless them for that. I, I will never tell somebody not to get involved in this stuff. If you have a heart for it and you want to do it and you're in it for the right reasons, come on in. There's plenty of work to be done. Um, but we need to be very careful. Uh, we, I've had situations here where I've had people bring a survivor in for trafficking cover-up or a removal. And in the, the course of that conversation, the social worker that's sitting there with us, with the survivor and me, tells me where the safe house is. I don't want to know where their safe house is. It's called a safe house for a reason. I don't want to know where it is. I don't want to visit it. I'm sure it's amazing. Um, and I, I'd love to talk to you about it, but I don't have any reason to come and see it. Um, unless, of course, you have somebody that needs a tattoo removal that for some odd reason cannot come out of the house. They can't leave, whatever. Um, that's a different situation. I had a situation recently where I, I have a rule. Uh, whenever I'm doing a trafficking tattoo cover-up or removal, my rule is this. The social worker, the caseworker, the victim specialist, whoever it is, whatever the case, whatever the organization, they bring the survivor here and they sit in the room with us while we're doing this tattoo removal or cover-up. There's a couple reasons for that. Trafficking survivors um, deal with a laundry list of stuff afterwards. One of the big things that they deal with often is PTSD. Um, I don't know how to treat people with PTSD. I'm not a social worker. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a social, you know, I'm, I'm none of that. I don't have any kind of letters after my name. Um, I don't know how to help somebody that triggers from PTSD and it happens a lot. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that here in a few as well. So it's very important to me that they are here to help if that happens, and it has happened and does happen often, um, to be able to help them through that, that situation. The other one, the other reason that they're required to be here and stay in the room with us is, guys, we're working with people who have been brutalized, mostly by men. They've been raped multiple times a day for whatever period of time in horrific ways. They've been beaten. They've been tortured. Um, and guys, I don't know if you know what I look like, but check out the website. I don't look like the nicest guy. Okay. I'm six foot four. I'm, I'm 300 something pounds changes every day. Now it's coming down, but, um, covered in tattoos and I don't look like the nicest guy. I look like all the guys that used to abuse them and, and brutalize them. And I don't ever want to put myself or any of our associates here at Inc. 180 in a, in a vulnerable position where somebody who's been brutalized could say or you know, suggest that anything happened that shouldn't have happened. We said something or did, tried something or anything like that. So it's very important that they're here. Recently, I had an organization um, bring a survivor here for a tattoo removal. Tattoo removal appointment takes about 20 minutes. Well, while I was out getting uh, paper towels to do this, this procedure, she said, I have to go. I'll be right back. This is the social worker. I'll be right back. I just have to run over to my parents' house and grab a coffee maker. And I heard that and I flipped out after they had left. I didn't hear it. Uh, and they left the survivor here. And I 
delicately got our way through the appointment, got the removal process done. We talked and it was all, you know, fine. Everything was good. But the appointment was 20 minutes. She was gone for an hour and 15. I didn't have her number uh, because she was new to the organization. So I called the, the executive director of the organization. And he said, hey, your social worker left here and she's been gone for over an hour. And oh, by the way, your survivor just looked at me five minutes ago and said, where is she at? When is she coming back? I've been dropped off in places before and people haven't come back to get me. And she started to panic. Thank God the social worker pulled into the driveway about two minutes after that. Um, But I've told them, I said, if that ever happens again, unfortunately, I won't be able to work with your organization and it's going to affect your survivors that you're working with. So uh, it was a teachable moment and it was, it was worked out and it was all good. Uh, but we take this stuff very seriously. Um, the survivor's comfort level is first and foremost, and their safety first and foremost to us. Um, a lot of times, you know, I love it when we have like the FBI and, and those folks bring uh, survivors in because obviously they know how to handle things. They've got the right people watching and, and hear when we're doing stuff. So and we're also, um, we are armed here uh, in case anything ever happened. Um, pimps and traffickers are, are uh, pretty good hunters and we've heard of situations with safe houses where they've found safe houses and tried to get in and get their their victims back and we take things very seriously we take our safety and their safety very very safe or very very seriously here um people ask me though they're like these survivors chris you've worked with so many now and you've encountered many you've you've gone to a lot of events you've heard a lot of survivors speak and share their stories like you know, what kind of kids are most at risk? And that's the, the scary thing is every, everyone is at risk. Everyone is a potential target. There's no demographic. There's no race. There's no socioeconomic norm um, for a victim of, of human trafficking. And like I kind of alluded to in the, the beginning of this podcast episode, uh, we've seen everything from uh, kids that were sexually abused in the home for for years kids that were abused and neglected in the foster care system for years um, and they ran away and then kids that ran away from home because they didn't get their way Um, we've also we've had only one of our survivors that we've worked with was actually kidnapped the uh, the rest were all kids that had run away from a situation uh, run away from home same thing goes for the johns you know, when we talk about human trafficking, everybody talks about the survivor and that's great. They need to be our priority, but why aren't we talking about the Johns? Why aren't we prosecuting these Johns? Um, pimps are getting prosecuted and pimps are getting better sentences. Um, some are getting life sentences without parole and that's beautiful. Uh, I say, let God fix them inside prison. That's fine with me. Uh, but why aren't we talking about these Johns? These Johns are getting a slap on the wrist. You know, um, there's some exceptions, Cook County, I, I talked a little bit last week um, when I was slamming Mayor Emanuel, and he deserves it completely. Uh, I was talking about Sheriff Tom Dart. Um, Sheriff Tom Dart is an amazing man, and he's done some incredible work to um, put some teeth into this, this whole situation with these Johns because they were basically getting a slap on the wrist. It was like a, a misdemeanor. It was like a speeding ticket for solicitation of prostitution. Um, Sheriff Tom Dart takes their cars now. He puts their faces on billboards 
you know, up on uh, I-90 and 290, um, impounds their cars, sells their cars, uses use that money in the fight against trafficking. Um, he's got uh, an amazing person named Marion Hatcher. She's a survivor, and she is awesome. She's a she's an advocate. She goes all over the world talking about trafficking, you know, her situation and then trafficking just in general and what she's doing with the Cook County Sheriff's Department to help survivors um, to where they're, um, if they're, they're survivors of trafficking, they are not criminalized. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and I love seeing what they're doing. Tom Dart as the sheriff has taken a very active role in decriminalizing human trafficking uh, and, and bringing, bringing this stuff to where it needs to be focused on. That's the Johns. I had a group of guys in here yesterday and one of their daughters uh, from a, a great organization here in Southern California. And ironically, they're from about five minutes from where I used to live. Um, CERT Ministries, S-E-R-T Ministries International. They're, uh, they're a bunch of retired military, special ops, law enforcement folks that wanted to serve. Uh, they have Jesus in their life. They wanted to serve. They wanted to use their gifts their tactical you know, experience to help rescue victims all over the world. And they happen to be in Chicago this week working on a case uh, with uh, one of our friends with the FBI. And one of them had a tattoo and needed it covered up and said, hey, you should call Chris at Inc. 180. I'm sure he'll help you out. And they came down yesterday, and, and I got to sit with them for about two hours while I covered a tattoo for uh, for Rudy, one of the guys. and sitting there and talking to them and listening to their story and what they're doing. It was incredible. Um, they get phone calls from, from parents and they're like, my kid's missing. Um, I found him on back page or whatever the case is, you know, different situations all the time. But, you know, can you help us recover them? And they go all over. They were just in Mexico. They were in Brazil. They, they do crazy stuff. And it's funny because people kind of, you know, when they hear about Inc. 180, a lot of times like, it's really interesting. It's different. It's a, I've never heard of a ministry like that. And it's unique. Um, this was that kind of thing for me. Like I look at what they're doing, uh, and the work that they do that and the danger of it, um, the selfless nature of it to go in and save and rescue these kids and adults, um, from trafficking. It was super cool to meet them. It really, kind of re-energized a lot of my focus on some things because when you're doing ministry like this, it affects you mentally as well. Um, I, I take on a lot of, a lot of ugly stuff. Um, I cannot fathom. I cannot begin to understand what a survivor of trafficking has gone through or what they're dealing with now. I can't, I can't even understand it, but what I can do is I can listen. And because I listen, I take on a lot of that. And for some reason, I take on some of the guilt of the trafficker and the John as a man, because these are other typically men. You know, we, we've seen some stories. I'm going to post some stories on the Inc. 180 page today, actually, um, about female pimps becoming a, a bigger issue. Um, one was a kid in school that was pimping other kids in the school, and just crazy. But um, yeah, so. I say that I go to counseling. I say it as often as I can. I want everyone to know, yes, I go to counseling. And you know what? If you're doing this kind of work or anything like it, you probably should be too um, because it, it's hard stuff to hear. It's stuff that when you hear it, you won't get it out of your head. Um, you can't. You cannot. And you feel obligated to do something. 
This isn't a, a type of a ministry that's warm and fuzzy. You know, people, hey, it's funny. I, if I had a dollar for every time I heard a Christian say, I just want to love on people, I would never have to raise money for this ministry, ever. Um, and that's a, that's a great sentiment. It's a really good way to live that you just want to help people and you want to do something, you want to love people. I know because I, I try to do that every day. Okay, so I'm not saying you shouldn't. That's what you should be doing. But sex trafficking ministry is hard. I've been spit at. I've had girls try to punch me, scratch me. Um, They're dealing with PTSD. It's not anything personal. Uh, But they have been brutalized. They've been just horribly treated for whatever period of time. You know, it's not the, the typical lifetime movie scenario where, you know, somebody is missing and they get rescued and, you know, the, the person who was, you know, rescued runs up to the, the person, the, the police officer or whatever the case and hugs them and everything's good and they're all fine and they're happy now and they get to go back to a normal life. Sex trafficking survivors will fight for the rest of their life to regain themselves every day. And they're going to have good days and they're going to have bad days and then they're going to have horrible days. Um, so it's important for us to remember that. Uh, there's a, a, a lot of talk out there. There, um, there are really two main kinds of ministries or groups in, in this fight against trafficking. There are survivor-led ministries or survivor-led organizations where a survivor of trafficking starts an organization. And then there's the rest of us who are not survivors of trafficking, uh, who do things to help, different types of things. Um, so sometimes there's a, you know, it almost seems like a battle uh, instead of working together. So we're trying to work together with groups. We value in a huge way survivor-led ministries. Uh, one of the other things that kind of drives me nuts with this kind of ministry stuff is that there's a lot of fighting between groups. Um, there's some people, that are, oh, I'm not going to do that because they're you know a different church denomination or this or that. Guys, it, it, it's up to us to work together. We need to put other disagreements aside. Um, and, and try to work to be, together as best as we can. Everybody can do something. What can you do? What's your gift? You know, you don't have to have a degree in business. I don't. I've taken plenty of classes and here and there and, and learned things from people that did stuff before me. Um, people ask me all the time. They're like, Chris, there's another. I saw a thing on Facebook. There's another tattoo ministry that's doing stuff that you do. Are you mad? I'm like, no, I love it. Why should I be mad? I didn't think of this ministry. This was not my thought. I did not think of Inc. 180. Um, I asked God what he wanted me to do and how he wanted me to serve the community. And this was just another aspect of that ministry that he gave me. Um, I love it. People of Survivors, Inc., great organization. Jennifer Kempton, survivor of trafficking, beautiful human being that we unfortunately just lost. She got called home. Beautiful soul. Beautiful person. I talked to her many times. My great friend, Amor Sierra, Amor Sierra at the Miami Tattoo Company, does great work. She does so much stuff to fight trafficking in so many different ways. I'm inspired by these other folks. We work together. We're partners. We're all partners in the same fight, uh, and we love it. So don't ever think that, oh, they're, you know this person's doing this, and you know it's not about that. There's plenty of work to go around. I wish there was... Uh, a tattoo removal or cover-up ministry, at least one in every city in this, in this country. 
I mean, that's one of the things that we've been trying to do is talk to other artists to get them to do that. Um, one of the hard things for us, you know, we, we talk with the survivors while we're doing our work and they, they then move on to the next step in their, their recovery process and their, their new growth and their new life. One of the hard things for us is that we, we really don't get to contact them or talk to them afterwards. And we understand why Uh, we want to, of course, maintain their privacy and security but we pray for them every once in a while we will, we'll get a, a card or a letter and it's, it's just awesome. And, you know, we have our freedom tree in the back where, where survivors will put their handprints and leave messages for others. And, you know, it's funny when we started that, that was really for, for the survivors. We wanted them to have an exclamation point to be able to say, okay, you know what? That's my old life. It's, it's gone. I, I got the tattoo taken care of. I don't have to look at it anymore. And it's kind of a, a, a stamp, like an exclamation point that that old life is dead. And it's beautiful, but it's really become just as much for us. Um, we sit there on long days and days when we've removed those tattoos and days that we're just struggling uh, in different ways, financially, emotionally. And we look at those handprints and, and those messages and we pray and we cry a lot, guys. That's why I don't have carpet in this shop. I have linoleum so I can mop it up. It's, it's a tough thing to deal with. It, I cry a lot. And if, if you're dealing with trafficking ministry and you don't cry, you really need to go to a counselor because it's the most heartbreaking stuff I've ever heard in my life. I've seen people get killed. I've seen people kill themselves. I've dealt with loss. I've dealt with horrible things in my life uh, and around me. But nothing breaks my heart like this. And it is horrific. Uh, you know, I, I look at my kids in a different way. I look at myself in a different way. I look at my old life in a different way. It's like we have to stop the current culture, how we're looking at things. Um, we need to stop letting rapists get off because they're a swimmer at Stanford. Uh, we need to start teaching our boys how to be men. And along that, we need to teach our girls how to be women and value themselves for more than just a sexual object. I see it all around me. It's very clear to me now. I don't know when it happened in our current culture, and it makes me sound really old to say it like that. It's like somewhere along the lines in this country, we stop teaching our kids how to, how to live. And we stop teaching our kids how to value themselves um, for more than just sex. And we have to do something. We have to do something to end the demand. Annie Donwald came to me and she said, Chris, we need, we need to start an organization. I want to start doing stuff. I want to start doing men's events on trafficking because every time we go and speak about human trafficking at a church or an event, it's like 99% women and there's about three or four men there. And I love that those three or, three or four men are there, but I want it to be a lot more um, because this normalization of that culture needs to stop. It's simple supply and demand, guys. If there's no demand, there's no need for a supply. So we need to start going to those who are demanding it and talking about this situation. And it's uncomfortable and it's ugly and we need to talk about it. Uh, one of my favorite events that I do every year is I go down and I talk to, to fraternities at NIU about things, from, you know, of course, we talk about sex trafficking. Uh, we talk about the whole strip club aspect. You know, there's a lot of these businesses like strip clubs and massage parlors that have trafficking going on. We have a massage parlor five minutes from my shop that's trafficking women. And 
nobody's doing anything about it. None of the authorities are. You know what I'm doing? I sit out in front of it. It's right next to my gym. I sit out there when I go to the gym, and if I see somebody walk into it, I have a note that I leave on their car on their windshield wipers. It says you've been note or you've been seen walking into an establishment that's known for human trafficking. We've noted your license plate number and we've taken a picture of your car. And if you're seen here again, we'll turn it over to the authorities. It's probably not legal. I'm probably doing something illegal. But you know what? I'm trying I'm trying to to scare them a little bit, scare them straight uh, because we know what's going on. <laughs> and you know, people are like, why don't they just shut it down? Well, we have to have the evidence. I have evidence from people that have gone in there. I know uh, I've had conversations with them uh, and trying to get law enforcement to act sometimes is tough, uh, but we, we will get it done. Uh, massage parlors. If you, if you have a massage parlor in your town, and they've got blacked out curtains, something's going on there. That's not right. Okay. There's no city. There's no suburb. There's no rural area in this country that is immune to sex trafficking. So please don't tell me, don't send me a letter, don't email me, don't call me and tell me, Chris, I love that you do that there in Chicago, but that doesn't happen here in Macomb, Illinois. Uh, yeah, you know what? It does because I've been there and I talked to your kids in their school who are being contacted by people in Indianapolis to come spend the weekend and hang out or they got a modeling job in another city and we'll come and get you. We'll send you a bus ticket. Do not try and tell me that this isn't going on in your community. Please do not be that naive. This is happening everywhere. Okay. Um, we are going to talk about this a lot more in depth. We're going to break these things down into smaller pieces as the podcast, you know, goes along. We're still pretty new as our fourth up ep fourth episode. And, you know, Kyle's doing a great job of, of trying to tweak things and make things a little better as we go. And we're going to have interviews starting, you know, very soon. We're going to be bringing people. In fact, next week, I'm going to be doing an interview. Um, to bring in some other voices. There are people that have dealt with these issues. Um, I'm going to bring Annie, Don Annie Donwald in here for an interview. Uh, I'm going to bring in Laura Ng from Traffic Free or Cassandra Ma from Re Reclaim 13. We're going to talk about this stuff. I'm going to bring in former gang members, and you're going to hear it from their mouth um, because sometimes it's a lot more effective when you're hearing it from somebody that's lived it. Um, I've lived some of this stuff, but not like they have, and, and the sex trafficking stuff, definitely you need to hear from their mouth. What can you do? Well, we do, we do different things here. We, do, we speak in schools. We do, obviously, the tattoo removals. Uh, we speak in high schools, junior highs, youth groups, men's events. Um, we do the social media safety class. There's something we can all do. Even if, you know what, even if it's just sharing this podcast with a friend of yours and say, hey, listen to this, or talk to your friends, you know, go have coffee and say, do you know about sex trafficking? Have you heard about this? Do you know this is happening? Education is a key thing. Um, I didn't know about it until Brian Smith came to me from Homeland Security and say, hey, let's talk. Um, so be that, be that voice for somebody. Talk to your kids about this. This is important that they know about it. It's ugly and it's horrific, but it's real. And our kids need to know that this is going on as well. What can you do? Ask God. Use your gifts. What are your gifts? If your gift is just talking to other people and educating them, fine. That's great. Are you a social worker, psychiatrist, you offer counseling? Are you a tattoo artist? My tattoo artists out there listen to this. Join this. Join us in this. Cover some of these tattoos for free. You, I will tell you right now, your life will be amazing every time that you get to go to sleep at night knowing that you helped somebody out with something they couldn't do on their own.
It's a beautiful thing. Um, there's churches out there that we work with that put bags together. We work with uh, my one of my great friends, Jen, uh, Jennifer White down at ICTSOS in Wichita, Kansas. Um, they have, they call them fresh start bags. You know, when, when survivors or, or victims are brought in by law enforcement, when the pimp's been busted, they take everything into evidence, including their shampoo, their toiletries, their brushes, everything, their toothbrush. Um, so one of the things that they do, one of the many things they do at ICTSOS, they put these fresh start bags together so they can give them to this, these survivors as they're coming in um, and helping to testify against their trafficker and says, hey, here's, I know that they took your things, but here's new things to replace that. And it's just, it's really cool. There's so many different examples of stuff like that going on out there. What is it? You just have to ask God. You have to think about it. Talk to your friends. Talk to your kids. There's always something we can do. I'm going to wrap things up for today. Getting ready to start the day here, doing some work, doing some cover-ups, doing some removals. Um, please pray for this ministry. Uh, it's it's uh, been a tough summer with my health stuff. Uh, I'm getting back on track. I'm feeling great. I'm, I'm back almost up to full time. But um, being out of work due, due to the health, the heart issue that I've been dealing with, um, I lost a couple of weeks of work, so financially we're in a, in a big hole. So uh, pray if you, if you could help the ministry and donate to Inc. 180. You want to do that at Inc180.com. A lot of people tell me like, well, I wish I could donate. I just have, all I have is like five, 10 bucks. Don't, don't discount five or $10. You know, if, if everybody listening to this podcast donated five bucks or 10 bucks and, and helped out the ministry, we would be in a great place. Um, we're not looking for people to write $500 checks. We just want people to, to prayerfully consider partnering with this ministry and helping us take away these constant visual reminders of the past and do the educational programs that we're, we're doing and keep that going. Um, on next week's podcast, we're going to be talking about self-harm and I'm going to have a special guest in the studio. This is a, a, a topic that is still somewhat new to me, um, but self-harm and cutting is a huge issue, especially amongst our young people. So um, this week, I just have one, one instruction for you. I want you to go out, whatever it is, just do something. Have a great week. God bless you. So I turned my eyes to heaven I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of People living in poverty Children sold into slavery The thought disgusted me So I shook my fist at heaven I said, God, why don't you do something?